0: our New Testament reading to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a very famous passage, often, I think, misunderstood, but still a very famous passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, So ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk "'honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. "'But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, "'that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. "'For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, "'even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him.'" Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So I have the chapter divided up into three sections. The first section is verses 1 through 8. It takes us down through that, that verse where he says, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God, who hath also given unto us of his Holy Spirit. In this first section, we have, <clears throat> you know, we have people uh, running loose on the landscape today and searching, searching, searching for the will of God. What's the will of God? Pastor, tell me what the will of God is. Can you tell me what God's will is in this thing or in that thing? Paul tells us what the will of God is here in this passage. He tells us that it's our sanctification, that we should be a holy people. That's God's will. You want to know what God's will is, beloved? Be holy for I am holy. That's what the word sanctification means. So that's the first thing that we notice here. And we'll remember the historical circumstance. Right? The Thessalonians, they were in this region called Macedonia. Northern northern Greece at the top of the uh, Aegean Sea there. And remember what was uh, very popular in their day. You know, idol worship. And... Idol worship involved certain illicit acts that's, that are too uh, sensitive to talk about in mixed company. Well, that was part of their religious worship. You know, that and a steak dinner. Right? Seeker-friendly services, in other words. Right? Paul says you have to leave all that behind and live as a holy people. And because God has given you of his Holy Spirit... You can do that. That's mission possible, not mission impossible. You can't say, oh no, I just can't turn away from that. Yes, you can. That's what Paul says here. It's God's will for you to turn away from that. To turn away from that. And to be a holy people. So, this is the will of God. Your sanctification. That you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. That is his body. In sanctification and in honor. Right, so we don't abuse our bodies because why? Well, in First Corinthians chapter six, we will learn that we are bought, body and soul, by the Lord. We are not our own; we're bought with a price. Now, if you uh, have a car and you loan it to someone, um, <clears throat> I uh, when I was in Southern California, I, I used to work with a man who was involved in show business, right? And he was he would handle, you know, if you're going to do a If you're going to do an action-adventure movie, he would go to a local rental, and he would rent, say, a Porsche. And they would bring it into the movie, and they'd wreck it. And then they'd send it to a body shop, fix it, and then return it, (laughs) right? Well, the rental company got, you know, was made aware of that. They said, you can't treat our stuff like that. Beloved, you're God's stuff, and so you can't treat it like that. You can't treat God's stuff like that. You belong to him. This is what Paul is telling us here. You can't take someone else's stuff and use it, abuse it. Paul is saying you can't abuse yourselves like that because you belong to the Lord. Now there's some old English language here in, in verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence. May I say it this way, the passion of desire. Okay, that's exactly what the Greek words mean behind, the, behind those words. The passion of desire. What does that sound like? sounds like the title of a romance novel, doesn't it? It does. We turn away from all of that, Paul says. We turn away from those things and we possess our vessels in sanctification and honor. So we don't get to abuse them in any way. Not just in the topic here with regard to fornication. But we don't get to abuse them by, you know, like we say about horses, riding them hard and putting them away wet we want to take care of ourselves because our bodies belong to the Lord right now we don't want, want to make our bodies our idols and there's, a, there's an entire industry for that today we, we don't want to do that either we want to have that biblical sweet spot right like Goldilocks's porridge we want it to be just right just right in the way we handle our ourselves, our bodies this is what Paul tells us here and then he will say, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And then finally, we have the end of that first section. And if, you're argue, if you want to argue with someone, Paul says, your argument is not with me, it's with God. This is his word we're talking about. Okay, so very serious stuff. Um, he will say also this, um, Let's see. Yeah, that, uh, in verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. What does that mean, defraud his brother? Well, it means this, and this is maybe a little bit direct, but we used to understand in our society that, gentlemen, I'm talking to you, we had, an oppor- we, we had a responsibility and an opportunity and a duty to protect the women among us, our daughters. Our wives, from predators, defrauders, people who would defraud you gentlemen, right? We used to say things like, you know that 's someone 's daughter we don 't say that anymore. We've become completely insensitized to that. We have forgotten that these young ladies that are growing up here we, we must nourish, we must nurture them, we must protect them because someday they're going to be someone 's wife and we want to be able to present them rightly to him there's a responsibility there so that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any such way you see what paul says there and it's not just paul that's saying that you know oh pastor riddle that's old-fashioned that doesn't apply any anymore in our modern age women are liberated from that patriarchy again your argument is not with pastor todd your argument is with God. Okay? So let's hear what God says on that. Secondly, then, we move to, the, to this section as touching brotherly love. Notice how Paul goes from illicit love to brotherly love. Now we have a really good example. Now we're going to talk about brotherly love. And I don't need to write anything to you. You're taught that of God. That is something that when you receive the Spirit of God, you, you learn, if you will, natively, intrinsically, How to love one another. How to serve one another. What is true love? Right? Another song, right? I want to know what love is. Love is sacrificial and love is redemptive. Right? Not I love you because you give me the right stuff. That's not love. That's just wanting what you want. Love is when you sacrifice, when you give up. And that on behalf of someone else's redemption, sanctification, holiness. When you're willing to tell them the truth when it's hard You speak the truth in love one to another, even though it's hard. Let the righteous smite me. It shall not break my head. It shall be a pleasant oil, David writes in Psalm 141. All right, and then that you study to be quiet. Oh, sorry, before we do that, notice in verse 10, this is the second time Paul said this in this passage. There is a more and more aspect to our doing this. You do it now, but do it more and more. We want the, these things not to be static, but on the increase. All the good that God requires of us. Beloved, we're never finished in this life. We want always to be advancing more and more over and again. All right, so now verse 11. Uh, this is one of those pieces of advice that you wish was, that you could give to everybody, right? That you study to be quiet, do your own business, Work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. Oh, we've forgotten that old, what we used to call the Puritan work ethic, right? That you study to be quiet. You're not out there in the street parading everything that you do. No, you're quietly going about your labor, quietly going about your business. You're You're bringing excellence and diligence and spirituality to all of the labor that God has put into your hands and God is rewarding you for that in that you will have need of nothing and you'll walk honestly toward them that are outside the church. You'll set that good example. In a day when the shrill voices tend to rule the public square, let's not forget that that we don't want to descend into being shrill with them. You know what will overcome the shrill voices of this age? Exactly this right here. Continuing on in your labor. Make sure it's diligent labor and make sure it's comprehensive labor. Labor with regard to the public square as well as your private enterprise. But do that in such a way that follows after godliness. And then finally, verses 13 through 18, the most famous portion of this passage, I would imagine. Um, eschatology is a, is a complex topic and I think that in the last 150, 175 years it's been made more complex than it has to be uh, I, I, I think that the Bible teaches one general resurrection at the end of the ages that at that same time that everything happens at once that we don't separate people we don't separate uh, years it's not seven years three and a half years up down left and right it's not any of that stuff I think eschatology, biblically speaking, is very, very simple. This estate that we live in today lives with its, its relative uniformity. Of course, there are advances, and we'll talk about those later in the taking of vows. But in relative uniformity until the end of days. And when the Lord has, has caused that last elect soul on earth, that he has called from the foundation of the world to hear the gospel and be saved, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, then the end will come when the, when the redemptive purposes of God are complete in Christ. And Christ will then return at that time and with him all the saints that had gone on before him. And then what will happen is their bodies will rise up out of the dead, uh, out of the graves, and they will be reunited to their souls. And then those who remain alive will be gathered together with those in the clouds, And then we will all come to earth together and Christ will will usher in what is called the last age beginning with the general judgment. It all happens pretty much at the same time. There's no seven year separation, two or three resurrections, a coming back down, a going back up, uh, a mixed multitude of of glorified human beings and non-glorified people living on the earth at the same time. None of that, none of that silliness and confusion it's simply, and when we get to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, this will become even clearer. Because when Christ returns, he comes to do two things. And you can read this if you want this afternoon in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. He comes to do two things. The first thing that he does is to bring judgment upon all of those who have, who have denied him and harmed his people. And secondly, he comes to be admired in all of his saints. And we will receive rest with him at that time. So let's demystify eschatology. Let's just sweep all of that confusion away. And let's remember that that at the end of days, Christ will return. There is no rapture and then return. Everything happens at the same time. The judgment is ushered in. And then that, that renewed heaven and earth are put into their eternal estate. And the righteous will shine as the sun, it tells us in Daniel chapter 12. All right, well, that brings, uh, oh, before we come to an end of this passage, I, I just want to say one more thing. This is not fairy tale or myth. This same Jesus, the angel told the, angel told the disciples, you remember what happened, right, in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is talking with them, and while he's talking, whoosh, up he goes into heaven. And the, and the disciples, they're standing there, and they watch him go. And then the, the, the way Dr. Luke writes it, it's like they're just kind of getting a crick in their neck. They're just waiting for him to come right back down. And the angel appears to them and says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which has gone into heaven, he'll come in the same way that he's gone into heaven. He'll, he will return. There is a return of Christ, beloved. There is a resurrection from the dead. And there is a general judgment. We were talking in the, in the room after prayer this morning. You know, the, there's the guy that said, you'd be surprised what you can do when you don't have to look yourself in the mirror. Beloved, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When we deny the resurrection, we just give people room to behave any way they want. Because if we're denying the resurrection, we're also denying the judgment. Right? But Paul says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We want to remember that. And that will be a day of of the magnifying of the grace of God. The books will be opened. Our works will be made manifest. We'll see sins there on that day that we never knew we committed. And yet we will also see that grace of Jesus Christ come flowing down and covering them all. As he says, come ye, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom which was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, that will be a great day. With that then, let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.